Hello, everyone. My name is Jason, and this is episode nine of the Confessions of a Dealmaker podcast. I'm excited for today's host. Today's host is a friend of mine and colleague, Heddle Engineer. Heddle is the director of national sales for Bancorp, the one of the nation's primary SBA lenders. Heddle has a wealth of knowledge in this field. You've been in this industry 25 years? Yes, yes. I started when I was a baby. I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy to have you here. I'm, I'm very excited because I think this is going to be one of the most valuable conversations that we have on this podcast because um, I would not be in this industry if it was not for the SBA. Um, firstly, because when I, I got in this industry, I was looking to buy a business, and that's how actually I met Herb. I was actually on the buy side, and Herb ended up recruiting me. But I would not have been able to acquire that size business without the SBA. And I would not have been interested in acquiring a business if I had to buy it 100% cash. You know, it's a very risky investment. I couldn't leverage my money. And also, I don't think we would be able to do as good of work as we're able to do now without the SBA. I think that vehicle, uh, the 7A loan, is so imperative to helping sellers exit their companies, help buyers grow companies. So I'm just so happy to have you here. Oh, most Listen, most definitely, I'm... I'm a big cheerleader of the SBA program. I've been involved in it for many, many years, and uh, I 100% agree with what you're saying. So I'm I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to see see the journey that you've taken from being a business owner to selling the business to to now helping many, many people just like who were in your position really to to acquire that business now. So what what you're doing and getting the information out there is much needed, no doubt about it. Yeah, no, it's, it's very rewarding. The whole uh, decision behind doing this podcast was wanting to educate buyers and sellers because we found that most of the content out there was more on the broker education side. And when we engaged with sellers or buyers, we found out that most of them, they, they had didn't have a lot of good avenues to do research on how do you prep a business for the market? How do you maximize the value of the company to sell? How do you buy the right business? So we wanted to put together this information to help our clients. Yeah. And we can share this and add value. So absolutely, I, I want to share some stats and sure. and on small business um, and small business being the lifeblood of this country. So small businesses, this is right from the SBA's website, make up ninety nine point nine percent of all American businesses. A small business is defined by being five hundred employees or less. Out of those, so those small businesses make up thirty three million one hundred and eighty five thousand five hundred and fifty businesses in the United States. 81% of those are single owner operators, no employees. That's 27 million businesses. 18%, which is six, almost 6.1 million, have employees. There's only 20,868 large businesses in the United States. Small businesses make up 43% of gross domestic product. 46% of private employee employment, 39% of private sector payroll, 35% of private sector receipts, which is $13 trillion, 32% of all export value, which is $413 billion. Small business also netted 17 million new jobs accounting for 62% of all job growth since 1995, between 1995 and 2021. I just, these statistics are hard to ignore. 
because it, it just reinforces that small business is the lifeblood of this country. It's the lifeblood of our payroll, of our exports, of our GDP, and how important it is that, that we have tools like the SBA loan to help small business owners grow their business, acquire and retire. Um, and it's just, I think it's so imperative. So I look it up on, on the SBA website. So 2020 to present, there's been 168,212 7A loans which guaranteed up around $75 billion. Yeah, I mean, your your stats and what you're talking about is so, so important. And I think that we we look around America, we, we look around what we touch, and we see the big companies that we hear of all the time, and, and you know, they play a life, uh, a part in our life. You know, we see Apple, we see Facebook, we see all these big companies, but at the end of the day, what runs America is really is is the small businesses. It's the mom and pops. It's the one that we see right outside the office here, you know, up and down the street. That's what is the backbone of 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 our economy and continues to be the backbone of our economy. And that's why the programs like you just mentioned with the SBA program of having the guarantee of the government, having the the government effectively supporting to grow small businesses, to help start them up, to help them change ownership so that they continue, right? Uh, you know, uh, really a big part of what, what you do on the business acquisition side is to ensure that that business that has been operating that has employed many people, that employs families, that is moved from generation to generation continues in operation and continues to serve. And that, I feel, is a big part of what you do on, on the acquisition side to make sure that that is in the next person's hands so that business continues. Exactly. I think that's probably one of the most important work that we do. We, a while back, we did have this team meeting in here and on the whiteboard out there, we, we, I, I drew this circle. And so you have, this is the kind of the circle of, of influence that a small business has. First, you have the business owner and you have the business owner's family and then their, you know, their immediate family, their non-immediate family. So cousins, nieces, nephews, right? And so the business's ecosystem affects them, but then you have the employees of the company right. and their children and their indirect family and then the community. So um, if you go to a, a little league game that's sponsored by a small business, if you go to your local rotary that's sponsored by small business, if you go to your lo- you know most local charity events sponsored by small business, if you if you're buying something off Amazon, lots of cases that uh, is fulfilled by and you know some FBA reseller who's a small business selling a product on Amazon. So it just it 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 touches every part of the American fabric and in every part of American life. No. And, and, you know, if I can take that one step further, the way that I see my role and the way that I've seen my role for years and years is really, I've seen the ability to provide someone an SBA loan to start up a business, to buy a business, to see it impact the next generation and the generations to come. You know, when someone is acquiring a business, all of a sudden, maybe they've gone from a corporate job that they, they hit this glass ceiling. They couldn't go any further, but now they've acquired a business. Now they can, they put their talents to new works and they now expand the business. They bring in their family. They bring in their children. You know, those children grow up. Those children are the one that, that take over that business. So you really are impacting generation after generation. And it's not just the owner of the business. It's those employees that are the loyal employees of the business. You're impacting their families. How many times are you seeing that, you know, an employee of the business now has their child working in the same business because they 
they like it. They part. They feel part of the family. So I, without without having the SBA loans, without having um, the guarantee of the government in these programs, we wouldn't have it. And what basically has happened with SBA lending is, if you look back at the history of SBA lending and all the programs, this was a program that started where you actually had to get decline letters from conventional banks, and then you went to a bank that provided you an SBA loan. You basically had to exhaust other avenues to show that you couldn't get a loan, and then you would actually go and apply for that SBA loan. It was looked at as as a last resort, right? A last resort opportunity for that that person to, to, to have a loan for what they need to do. That moved on further and further as, you know, as the government changed, the program changed, and it became more of a front and center. This is what you can look at as a great opportunity in the front end to actually, um, you know, acquire a business instead of getting a conventional loan, which many were not available for this, uh, or starting a business. Now, now you actually are getting a loan instead of having to go and get a decline. But what also continued for many, many, many years is SBA was looked at as a cumbersome program. Lots of paperwork, lots of hassle, let, very, very hard to get. And, and it was almost like a bad word, right? If you, if you talk to somebody <laughs> and you said SBA, they just looked at it like, oh, there's no possible way I'm going to do this. That, you know, I have no interest in going through that drama of an SBA loan. What I think really changed this, it's, which is very, very interesting, is a pandemic. In 2020, when the pandemic happened and all of a sudden when the SBA rolled out the PPP loans and all these other programs that that were out there to help small businesses and big businesses, now all of a sudden you had these large companies that could qualify for a PPP loan that would never qualify for an SBA loan before. Now it was in the news 24 hours a day, PPP, who's processing, who's not, who's the quickest so you can get your money. And all of a sudden, everybody had a chance to play a part and to feel that SBA process. And I felt what what has really happened coming out of that is I've seen it after 2020, coming into 2021, 22, 23, is people look at this as a first opportunity. They want an SBA loan. They, mm-hmm. It's not a negative word anymore. They feel like I saw the benefit that it helped me keep my business open. It helped me keep my employees working and them getting a paycheck. And now I totally understand why this program is here. And because of that, it it has changed the profile of it. And what is also changed with the profile and what continues to change with the SBA is now they've realized how many how many businesses they can touch is they're trying to loosen those SBA requirements in some mm-hmm. degree to make it more, you know, more of a palatable loan for other people and, and for more people to just gravitate to wanting an SBA loan, not just big, you know, big businesses and large loans, but also small loans as well. Mm-hmm. So when I first got in this industry, I had several brokers pull me aside and tell me, okay, here's all the things you do and don't do, but I'm going to tell you this on the front end, just stay away from the SBA. And I think to what, to your point, there was this stigma from, you know, a hangover from the nineties and the, in the early two thousands of how difficult SBA loans were. And so I remember my first deal, my very first SBA deal that I was actually a liquor store, believe it or not, that I, that I, um, got into and, I remember going into this, like almost flinching, waiting for this to be a difficult process. And then 
the most, I mean, I think the most difficult part of that whole process was the, uh, the, the lender wanted every PL reprinted the same day with the same date on it and then signed by the seller in, in blue ink or something. I think, I think it was blue ink and then scanned and sent over. I'm like, that's it. And the process was so, was so easy. And I, and, and it produced such a better result for the seller because then they can sell this business for, and not have to carry back a loan themselves. And after the closing, they can walk away and they can now reinvest that money into their retirement. So let's, there's a lot of people who are going to be listening who they probably don't know what we're talking about. They don't know what the 7A program is. They may want to acquire a business or they're thinking about selling in the next few years. Could you kind of go over the 7A program from a high level and maybe even the 504 program too, because there's probably some applications that could be um, applied in some of these situations too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so with the SBA, the SBA 7A program is really the staple program, the staple product of SBA lending. It's been around for a long, long time. It's the go-to product that most people will go to because you can do many different things with it. You can acquire a business, you can start up a business, you can provide a business working capital, uh, equipment financing, you can buy real estate, you can refinance debt, you can buy out a partner. So it's really the all-encompassing program which you can use for everything that you need to. Now, next, next after that is really is the 504 program, which is really geared more towards hard asset acquisition. It would be acquiring real estate, acquiring equipment, those types of things. You can't put working capital or, you know, certain soft costs in the 504 program. So it's more of a limited program, but it is still a very, very popular program because it gives you you less cash down payment, longer term amortization, that type of thing. And then And the third program that you hear a lot about is the SBA Express line of credit, which is which is great. Uh, it, it's actually a line of credit that has increased in terms of the loan amount, and it provides flexibility for a small business to to use use that line of credit for what they want. So, so with with the SBA with the seven A program, most of the time on a business acquisition, you're going to see it using the 7A program because you have some aspect of um, soft costs. You have goodwill. You have blue sky. You maybe have some inventory that you're buying. You you have a need for working capital. One of the main things for us that's very, very important, and I would say most lenders, is when you are help, when you're providing someone a business loan to, to buy a business, you want them to start on the best foot. So you want to give them working capital. If for us, it's very, very important that not only are we providing the financing for that transfer of ownership, but we're also giving that new buyer a basis of a good amount of working capital that they can use that for what they need initially to to actually you know expand the business, you know operate the business, that type of thing. So so that's that's effectively what the SBA seven uh, A loan does, and and from that standpoint, you know working with a lender who who's a preferred lender with the SBA who can process that very quickly through the SBA is, is always going to be an easier process for a customer. Right. And preferred's not just a, um, you know, it, it is a status with the SBA, correct? Because it's, it changes how you get the approval process done on the back end, I believe. Right. That's, that's right. Yeah. And it's, it's not automatic, you know, for, for lenders to get a PLP preferred lender processing, uh, um, uh, approval is that they have to have X number of loans that they have initially done through what's called the GP process and general processing, where they package that loan, they send, they approve that loan internally. 
they send that entire loan package out to the SBA, effectively almost a second underwriting that the SBA does. After they've done that for a certain number of loan packages, that lender then can actually apply to become a POP lender with the SBA. They've shown a track record with the SBA, and the SBA feels comfortable that, hey, it's like we've had training wheels on you as a GP lender, and now we feel that you can you can hop on that bicycle and you can ride that bicycle yourself and go ahead and process these loans yourself. So the PLP process is very interesting because where a GP loan could take a week, two weeks, three weeks for that second approval through SBA, the PLP process, once we approve the loan, we go on, on the SBA's uh, site, include some general information on that transaction, and then we immediately would get an approval number from the SBA. Mm -hmm. That's the extent of processing through the SBA. Now, the SBA will come in and audit us at the end of the year, and they'll pull some files to look at it to make sure we're doing things per how it's supposed to be done in 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 the SBA standard operating procedure, the SOP. But at the end of the day, working with a lender that is experienced, whether it's us or anyone else, it's it's very, very important to look for an experienced uh, lender who knows what they're doing. Right, and how that plays out on the seller side and the buyer side is you're looking at a deal you want to buy, you know cash flows, but will it get SBA financing? If you go through someone who's going through the GP process, you're just sending that over, they do their underwriting, and now it has to go to the SBA and go have a second look. Whereas the lenders who have preferred status are going to be able to tell you on the front end, yep, this meets our criteria because typically theirs is going to go above and beyond the SBA. Um, and, and that will get you a faster uh, you know, timeline through underwriting so you're not hanging the seller out there for longer, waiting to see if it's going to get approved. Yeah. Listen, in your business, in our business, we all know there's one simple phrase, time kills deals. Right. Right now, it's that's 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 it at the end of the day. So um, processing what you need to when there's a meeting of the minds with a letter of, in, uh, of intent, a contract put together with buyer and seller is, is to move that transaction forward as quickly as possible. You know, you've got a seller that wants to sell. They want to get out. You've ha you have a buyer that wants to get in. And their 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 mind is focused on that, and the longer you take, everyone's mind wavers a, a different way, and maybe has other thoughts. So it's very very important for everyone, for you know, to have a process that goes well on your side. And I mm -hmm. know that a big part of the transaction with you on on the brokerage side is to kind of shepherd that process, you know, to be involved at a high level to kind of watch everything going on and advise both sides in some degree of here's how the process works and here's what to expect in right. that process, you know? Yeah. And that's where, so the broker's job also is on the front end before going to market with that listing is educating the seller because the sellers have heard these same stories Oh, the SBA, it's going to be terrible. It's going to, you know, get drugged through the mud all, all, you know, to get a no in 90 days. Well, I think for our statistics, nine out of 10 of our deals are typically SBA and, um, in the last five years, I've had two no's that we that we that were not on this front end. Now, on the front end, we've got no's on the front end because there's exclusions, there's reasons the deal won't qualify. Um, but we've only had two no's, and one was because uh, the building didn't pass inspection and had a severe termite problem and was falling into the ocean. <laughs> and the second one was uh, there was some things with the buyer's experience that late because there was some sensitivity to the business. We found out wasn't. He just wasn't going to be qualified. Um, that's the only two no's we've gotten. But 
Um, let's talk about the requirements cause, so buyers know and sellers know. What is the SBA looking for from a buyer and from a business to qualify? Sure. I mean, it's 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 really the basic things that you would look at is is if you're looking at the processing of the sale of a business, you want to see what the historical numbers are on the business. Would it support this new loan that you're putting on the business? Now, you know, of course, a buyer can come in and pay cash for the whole thing. All of a sudden, their requirements of, of profitability of that business is not as as high as incorporating the fact that you have an SBA loan there. So looking at the three years history of what that business has done, um, and that's that analysis for us is very, very important to say, historically, it has cash flow, thus we expect going into the future it'll have cash cash flow. Now we now we we transfer looking at the buyer. Who is the buyer? What is their experience? What have they done in the past? You're not always going to have a case where a buyer is buying a business and they have exactly that same industry experience, right? You you what we're going to look at is some degree of transferable experience. They have managed people before. They have been maybe in retail before. They, they have been in some, some part of that industry before, maybe even at a management level. Now, now want to get deeper in the weeds and operating a business. So it's the experience level that we're going to look at. We are, of course, going to look at um, their personal credit because how a person handles their personal credit is highly indicative of how they're going to handle their business credit. It's, it's just a general rule that we look at. And then the third thing is going to be liquidity and personal net worth. We want to see that that person has the their cash to put into the deal. Maybe it's a 10% down deal. Maybe it's 15 or 20% down based upon that specific deal. But do they have the money to put into it? And then do they also have some post-closing liquidity? It's very, very important that nowadays, and I believe that what we've learned after, you know, 08, 09, 10, and then, and then what, what we ran through with the pandemic is, is when the economy is struggling, you want to make sure that people individually have some sort of savings, some sort of liquidity. And I think that that has continued on. I remember when I started in this business years and years ago, we would see, you know, a person is scrounging from everywhere they can to just put together their down payment. And that's all that we looked at. We were like, okay, you know, you have just enough to make your down payment. Let's, let's do the deal. Now, I believe most lenders are out there looking to say, you have some liquidity, you have some, some, some additional liquidity as well. That's in addition to what, what, what we'll give as working capital. So, just, just having that, those are the main traits that we're going to look at. And then we're going to look at the business. You know, what is the business? Who are the competitors? What is the viability of the business? You know, why is the seller selling? That's one of the main things that we're going to ask for. And, you know, it, it, it's many buyers wonder, why is the bank so interested in why the, why the seller selling? Well, what does the seller know that no one else knows, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure that there's not something out there that, you know, a big competitor coming, a big change in the industry, a big change in the supply chain of that business. It's it's just the general parameter, you know, the smart way of looking at, at a transaction like that. So it's a holistic review that we, we have. I wouldn't say that we are geared towards only the financials of the seller or only the buyer. It's a little bit of everything, including that industry and what's going on 
so that we understand what the viability in the future of that is. Yeah. So one of the postures we've taken as, as a brokerage is looking at deals through the lens of what an SBA lender is looking for. So we have an asset test that we do because we know, okay, so um, there's a debt coverage ratio that needs to be achieved. There is, there's going to be a cash flow requirement that the buyer must have because especially if they have a spouse and kids, because I believe there's a, um, there's a metric for that. That's based on, you know, how many kids and if they have outside income. So we ca- we have a number that we calculate. And so a lot of times on deals, um, you have to have this conversation with the seller and say, okay, well, this is what the business will qualify for because of the, how much cash flow it makes, what the loan debt coverage is going to be to be competitive in the market. Because if we go to the market with a deal that requires 20% down, we're not competitive. If, if a buyer is looking at 25 deals, 10 deals, and every deal besides ours can cash flow with 10, 11, 12% down. And now we're asking for 20% down. Um, the Even if this business has a longer track record, there's some uh, wow factor there. The buyer's still going to wonder, well, why is it that I would be investing double into this business to get the same return? And so that's a hard conversation we have to have with the sellers initially in, in the front end and, and look at the business through the SBA's lens because we know that if it qualifies for SBA lending, we can open that up to a larger pool of buyers, right. which will then make a more competitive marketplace for the seller versus if we are not able to compete on that front, we're not able to get SBA lending, then we have a very small pool of buyers. And so now it's a buyer's market for that business versus seller's market. Yeah, no. And, and, and the one point that you hit here, here, Jason, I think is so important that a lot of people forget is it's not just the business, it's the buyer. And what is their financial profile look like? I mean, mm-hmm. if you have a buyer that needs a $50,000 draw out of the business to cover their personal expenses versus a $150,000 draw, that's an immediate impact on that business. And you're exactly right, is that when, when we look at it, we're going to pull the credit of that individual. We're going to see what their home mortgage, their car payments, their credit cards, their student loans are. We're going to factor in what is it that they need as a minimum for covering that personal expense. So that can also impact what that net cash flow is out of the business and what is the net cash flow available to service the loan Mm -hmm. that we're providing. Again, holistic global cash flow is how we look at it. It's the business, it's and the debt you're putting on the business, it's the buyer and their personal debt that they already have. Look at all of that together. Yeah, and I'll bring this up too because I'm sure you've seen this in the last two years. It's become more of a, a challenge as real estate values have inflated and increased in the last two years, there's a lot of businesses that have had their real estate outgrow the business. And so you, you bring an asset to market, you have a business that has a value and you have a piece of real estate attached. And that piece of real estate is, um, as a, as a percentage of the whole deal may not be, you know, more than 51%, but because of that industry and, and the requirements of that real estate, it may now hinder the cash flow of the business because the real estate now is worth double what it would have been four or five years ago. And so in doing so, um, you now have to ask so much more for the business and the business doesn't have the cash flow to support it. We looked at a deal recently, um, great business, long track record, you know, 25 plus year track record, um, about 150,000 in cash flow. But the problem is the real estate is appraised at about 650. So now we have to make that deal happen. Um, we have these some cash flow re- restrictions because of what the loan's going to be. 
So that's that, and that's why it's so important, I think, for buyers and sellers to have these conversations earlier in the process before they start. Okay, I'm ready to buy, or I'm ready to sell. Right. To talk to a broker, talk to a lender, just kind of get a feel for the climate and, and where they stand. Yeah, and and just one step further on that, on the real estate acquisition, also looking at what the rent's going to be for the buyer. Right. You know, now all of a sudden the buyer is going from three thousand, you know, rent to renewing that same lease, which they need that location at six. I mean, that's an impact. That's going to impact the cash flow of the business. That's going to actually impact mm-hmm. the valuation of the business. The, the The company that does the business valuation will ask those questions, and they'll look to see, well, how does that increased rent impact what the value of that business is now? Well, that's important to, to go over, too, because one of the SBA requirements is the lease, ava- the available right. terms doesn't have to be the initial term. Available terms has equal to the term of the loan. So right. if you have a 10-year loan, you need to have 10 years of options. Right. One of the challenges is a lot of times uh, sellers want to wait to the last minute to go have this conversation with their landlord about, hey, I'm looking to sell. And now if there's no options available in that lease and the landlord now has the upper hand in the negotiations because they know you want to sell, especially if you have a buyer on the hook and they, well, you know what? I've been thinking about raising the rent. And if I have someone new coming in that I don't know, well, now the rent's going to be this much. So now your whole deal is held up by the landlord who's holding it hostage. And so it's so important, again, get a good attorney, have a conversation with a broker three, four, or five years before you want to sell so that you can know all of these obstacles and then, okay, we need to go get an option on that lease. Let's go negotiate with your landlord to get an option so we know we have some buffer we can negotiate instead of um, having the, the landlord hold the whole deal hostage. Right. Absolutely. So what are some excluded industries or exclusions for the SBA? So, you know, the SBA over years and years have really opened up what what you can do do SBA lending for. Um, it's going to be very interesting what happens in August when they roll out the new standard operating procedure. But right now, you, the there are certain industries, uh, nonprofit, you cannot not get an SBA loan for something in the cannabis industry. Uh, uh, you cannot get an SBA loan for uh, any any business that is sort of adult in nature. You cannot get a business for uh, a business that uniquely only caters to a certain, you know, individual, a male or female. Like certain businesses, you may have uh, a gym that only allows women to be members of the gym. Interestingly enough, you can't get an SBA loan for that. So that in general, they've opened it up more and more and more. But certain exclusions still apply. The, you know, a, a lot of this this information is actually available um, on the sba.gov website as well. Uh, and and again, just speaking to the right broker like yourself that kind of understands what types of industries would qualify. Because I know what you do uh, as a part of your process when you're listing a businesses, we'll have a conversation on that right. uh, up front. Hey, here's the type of deal that I've got. I've, I'm, you know, I'm working on my offering memo. I'm structuring the deal. And then we'll have that conversation to say, is this something that would qualify SBA from an industry standpoint, from a cash flow standpoint, and all those types of things. So speaking to the right people from your industry as well as from the banking industry is very important to make mm-hmm. sure talk to people that can navigate you through that process. Mm-hmm. Especially for, for buyers too. A lot of times we, we talk to first time buyers 
And uh, they they have the high the high points. They know okay, I need about ten percent of the equity injection, and then the business needs the cash flow, and have three years of financials, and and that's about the end of their knowledge. So it's a good idea if you're going to buy a business to go talk to an SBA lender ahead of time. Um, we um, we love to introduce people, you know, as as we've done several times, because then we know that they're they're better educated. They can make a better decision because they now have the whole picture. Right, right, right. Um, and and you know, we've kind of touched on the benefits, but um, I want to reiterate some of how how this benefits the buyer and seller in the long term working with an SBA lender. So on the on the buy on the sell side, we see that the seller is able to get a larger purchase price and, and at least the largest purchase price up front. Um, if they have to hold a seller note, it's a lot smaller than if uh, they try to do the deal without an SBA loan. And so in in my work, I've seen a better result for the sellers in working with SBA lenders. Sure. Yeah, no, I, it's, it's many of these transactions I see come together with everyone coming to the table from a standpoint of the buyer is making a down payment on the acquisition of the business. The bank is giving uh, a loan for this acquisition of the business. And you may also ha- incorporate a seller note to some degree. Maybe you need that note because the buyer is limited on their, their cash injection. Maybe you need that note because the cash flow is a little bit tight and it would help to reduce that SBA loan amount by having a seller note that maybe is on standby for a period of time or Many times you're going to incorporate a seller note because you want everyone wants to ensure that that transfer of the ownership uh, in pro, between the, the seller and the new buyer works well. And having that seller involved in holding a note for a period of time is is helpful. So I've seen those transactions obviously happen from a standpoint of an all cash. You know, you and and it seems like I I hear this more and more and more from you is that. We're seeing a lot more buyers that have cash, and they'll come in and buy buy it all cash, or a larger company will come in. Or you're seeing a situation where they have a certain amount of cash, and and the the seller has decided he wants to, to hold a note for the rest. Or the third option is the bank is providing the financing altogether, you know, without without the seller note. So I see a lot of these transactions uh, for us come together many different ways. That's the beauty of SBA lending, honestly, is there's tremendous amount of flexibility Mm -hmm. to structure a deal, to find a way to make that deal work. And many, many times that includes everybody coming to the table and giving a little bit and being flexible about, you know, what they're going to do on that transaction. Yeah, I would say flexibility is definitely a key to, to getting a deal done in general. I can think of, so the the most creative one we've had to do is we had a buyer that owned a restaurant but was tired of the restaurant industry, wanted to get into the towing industry, um, and we had a towing company for sale. So we ended up having to work with the buyer to sell his restaurant. The restaurant space was owned by a city municipality, so that actually had to go up for bid to make sure the buyer was able to still keep it and then sell the buyer's house because it was far too far away from the business. It was about uh, maybe almost 80, 80 to 100 miles from the business and do all this in order to close on this deal by the end of the year. So we started this in June, I believe June or, or May and had to help him. And, and the seller was patient because the, the buyer was a good fit and was willing to pay the asking price and buy the real estate. It was, I think the deal was a 
1.3 million or so. Um, ended up, we were able to sell the business, sold the house, and then closed on the uh, business with about two weeks to spare. Wow. Yeah. You know, that's the ultimate flexibility. You know, a yeah. lot of people have to make some changes and, and sacrifices in their life. And you bring up a good point. You know, for us, it's very important that when we look at transactions, it's a hands-on buyer. That buyer is, to some degree, close to the business, right? Yeah, You can't be a buyer who's buying a business that's three hours away and say, yeah, I can manage that business from a day-to-day standpoint. So the geography of where that buyer lives compared to where that business is and uh, and being able to be there is very, very important because we all know at some point in time, having to drive up and down I-4 every single day, uh, it gets tiring. You know, mm-hmm. it gets tiring for everybody. So knowing that they're in that vicinity of, of operating that business hands-on is very important. So I think this, what we're going to, what I would like to talk about next, maybe one of the biggest uh, topics that we're able to discuss today. So we have this intersection of the uh, S- the SBA SOP 5010 that's going into effect August 1st, along with the Small Business Murders Acquisition Sales and Brokerage Simplification Act is co- has come to fruition. And so I, the intersection of these two events is going to be one of the biggest changes for business buyers and sellers, I think, in the next you know 10 years. Right. Um, uh, let's talk a little bit about that. I read over the SOP. It's 10 pages long. I, I, I glanced over and figured I know Heddle knows more about this, so I'm not even going to try to dig into this. <laughs> uh, it's it's Well, so the real SOP, I think what you read is probably the summary, the summary which is good. Yes. You read the cliff notes of yeah. it. Uh, the the real the, SOP is... Maybe a thousand pages long. Well, yeah, but the Cleveland, the Cliff Notes. There's a lot there. <laughs> there's, there is, there is, and uh, you know, for us, the nice thing it is is the SOP is a searchable document for keywords, so you can find keywords. <laughs> and I think it's very important for 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 borrowers to know the SOP is open for anyone, right? It it's a government document. Um, now the new SOP about to come out is 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 going into effect August first. Um, but that document is available on sba.gov. You can go, you can search a document, you can download that document. What the SOP really is, is the standard operating procedure of how a bank should be structuring and closing an SBA loan. Now, what's very interesting about the SOP is it's vague in many, many areas. And it's vague for a reason because it helps lenders to be flexible to structure that loan and provide the financing in a way that a customer would would need you if you if it was too detailed and too specific then it will not help in the structure of every type of loan because every type of a business acquisition or SBA 7A loan is very very different um, what basically happened is if in the beginning of May SBA had the plan of 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 providing the new SOP had it drafted but there were certain things that um, lean so far the other way in loosening up what a bank is allowed to do by by their new stance of you know a bank can ha- can handle a loan and do as they do on a conventional loan. Um, it's very hard to do as you do in a conventional loan comparing it with an SBA loan because both are very very different. Uh, most conventional loans are entirely secured by real estate. You know, they're, they're not a goodwill loan. They're not a business acquisition loan. They're not an unsecured loan. So what happened is that with the SBA, they had the right reasons. You know, they had the right reasons to to come to, you know, how the economy 
operates today and the size of the businesses and the and the the type of the borrower who is more you know uh, more experienced more affluent that type of thing so they've loosened the requirements as it relates to who a qualified buyer can be and how a transaction can be structured yeah, uh, in the past it was very, very specific that you couldn't acquire the partial ownership of a business. Now you can. Now there are some very unique things as it relates to that. As it relates to if you're if you're acquiring a portion of a business, then the other people that are owners of the business also have to guarantee as well as the business. So there are it's that's a very unique structure that you don't see very often. Um, so, so we're gonna see what really comes into effect. August 1st there they have have taken a lot of commentary from lenders as uh, lenders have have reviewed what's come out so far like what you just looked at and made comments on that now certain things are 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 helpful certain things are um, who that buyer can be you know uh, helping out with less get less down payment on a business acquisition having the flexibility of how a seller note can be structured in the past, it had to be a longer term on full standby for you to be able to count that as equity in 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 the transaction. Now that note can be a shorter term note. Now the amount of cash injection can be smaller. Um, the way that the cash injection is verified was very much a cumbersome pro, uh, process with the SBA going back sometimes years ago when you initially started spending money on that transaction. I mean, some of these transactions, as you know, they, right. they take a life of their own. You know, they're more <laughs> than nine months of having a baby. They're these, yes. these, these, it's, it, like, right? yeah, it's like an elephant pregnancy. It's like two years. Exactly. I mean, yeah, exactly. I've, I've got one that I've been working on for over a year. It's about to have a, or it had a birthday recently. So <laughs> no, exactly right. So, so certain things of the flexibility of how to structure a loan, certain requirements of what insurance is requirement on smaller loans, you know, a lot of a lot of flexibility on the smaller loans, less than half a million dollars, because the SBA also understands that that's the backbone of America, as you mentioned at the beginning, you know, how many small businesses are out there, all these small businesses, they don't necessarily need a million, two million, three million dollar loan. Many, many, the vast majority of these businesses, half a million and under is 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 a sweet spot of what they need. Mm -hmm. So there's been a lot of flexibility and restructuring on how banks can go to market and process an SBA loan and how more people can qualify for an SBA loan and it to be less restrictive, less conditions, less cumbersome. Now, there are more things to still come out and really you know, the details of what comes out is going to be very, very important. So it's it's really hard to kind of dive into exactly what the changes of the SOP is here, you know, right now, because we expect that there are going to be some changes in what they initially came out with and what really goes into effect August 1st. But in a nutshell, it's going to be more flexible. It's going to be more flexible for the profile of who that customer is for an SBA loan. It's going to be more flexible for banks and how they process SBA loans and less 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 restrictive on how we structure a loan because we'll be looking more at our conventional policy and we'll take some of the positives of that conventional pro that policy and apply it to the processing of SBA loans itself. That's fantastic. One of the things I'm 
so excited about it, and I hope this stays around and you know up until August first is the ability to purchase less than a hundred percent of the company. Right. One of the things I see a lot our our deal sizes are range between I would say most commonly for the transactions I'm working on now is three to fifteen million, and we'll see in that when we're looking at those deals from say three to eight or seven ten million. We'll see where there would be an opportunity to use an SBA loan, but the buyer's requirement is the seller stays on for a period of time and they may have a minority stake in the company. This would give us the opportunity now to market that business along with the changes with the Small Business Mergers, Acquisition, Sales, and Brokerage Simplification Act. That's a mouthful. (laughs) But um, that that act has allowed us now to to market a company with a partial sale, not just 100% sale, without having to be register with the SEC and in, in selling securities. Before, we weren't able to market a company for sale that wasn't 100% acquisition because then we were marketing securities. Now, with this change for us, we're able to advertise a company where the buyer or the seller may retain 20% or 30% post-closing and roll equity with the buyer because these are great for now private equity groups and family offices to come in for a, a company that's um, you know, in that size range of three to 10 million. Now the, these buyers um, who are maybe independent sponsors, they have the capital requirements to qualify for an SBA loan. They can come in and buy 80% of the company and the seller stay on. And it's a great transaction for both parties. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's going to be very, very interesting in terms of how, how it happens because the uniqueness of how that's going to be is <clears throat> depending on the percentage ownership of the the buyers that stay i mean the sellers that are staying on they may have to be involved as a guarantee they may not i think then in the way you just proposed it is maybe if they're a minority owner and they're helping with the transition that transition it's a whole different story that is definitely going to help quite a bit um and 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 the next part of that is SBA had the requirement that a seller could only be on for 12 months. Now that may be changed and a seller can be on for a longer period of time to help transition that business mm-hmm. further. Or maybe it's a seller that that wants to sell but really enjoys still being involved in the business and it's just not interested in managing the overall operations of the mm-hmm. business but wants to stay on as a salesperson, wants to stay on as a technical person and kind of ride out their retirement in some particular way and still working. So all those things are going are, are gonna to be actually providing the flexibility. Where we also see this happening more and more, you know, on, on the flexibility of it is I think we're going to see more where the parents want to sell the business to mm. the children, you know, in a situation or, or another family member or a very key employee that they've had there for many, many, many years that they feel is the best fit to continue that operation of the business. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, it allows for maybe that buyer to come in and buy a portion of the business or to buy you know, a larger percentage of, of, of that business and have the seller stay on and they want to help their children. They may say, Hey, I'll still, I'll still guarantee the loan. I have no problem with that because I'm helping guarantee the loan to transfer this to this key employee, to transfer it to, to my children who I know are very, very capable of operating this business. So again, those are the things that I believe the SBA is looking at and seeing happening more in the market. And because it's happening more in the market, um, that's why the flexibility of these changes with the SBA are coming out. 
No, and I think it's fantastic. So one thing we want to talk about too, I, I have some questions from some of our viewers. Sure. Um, I would believe we answered a lot of those during our conversation, but the one that I think is on everyone's mind is what's the economy look like and then the uh, the um, the climate of lending. And you and I were having a conversation sure. earlier out there in, in the foyer, and we said, hey, no, let's hold this for net for, for in here. But sure. it, it sounds like the velocity is up, that lending is up, and that uh, transactions are up. Yeah, it is. It's, 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 it's a very interesting time, and what we're seeing right now is – what we've seen for years and years in this cycle of the economy and in this cycle of the economy where it's a little bit uneasy, what's happening? Are we going to go into a recession? Are we not? There's some tightening, you know, in this this uh, situation of supply chain and higher, uh, higher cost of living is you have the conventional banks tighten up. That's what's happening right now, and that's what you're hearing. And on top of that, you're hearing of, you know, issues with banks having liquidity issues, that type of thing. And because of that, they're tightening up on their lending itself. What we've historically seen is when when conventional banks tighten up, those quality of those deals that were above what an SBA lender would see, now they fall down to the SBA arena. You know, you have SBA lenders that are looking at deals that they potentially were not looking at before, or they're just looking at a larger volume of deals because the overall banking environment is tightening up to some degree. We're seeing that right now. It's a very, very interesting time. Um, our our volume in terms of what we're seeing and the number of units that we're processing is actually up this year. It's 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 actually going well now. Are we still going to have to be more strategic in looking at these individual transactions and seeing that they make sense in light of what's happening in the economy? Yes, 100%. You know, we'll have to check more boxes and we'll have to sort of look at the viability of this business and the buyer. But what is happening is, is again, where SBA was a last resort before, now SBA is a first resort, right? And that Now you're seeing a situation, it's it's – all these things all coming together, as I mentioned earlier from the pandemic where people understood what SBA lending was, have have more of a positive attitude towards it. Now you have a situation where the conventional banking side is tightening up somewhat. So now they want to go SBA. They understand that SBA is there as an opportunity. And then you've got on top of that, the SBA sort of loosening up some of the requirements to make it uh, more of a palatable loan for a buyer. Now, you know, the banks still want to be very careful to make sure that they do the SBA loan the right way in, in, in handle it per the SOP. Uh, so it still can be structured and qualified as an SBA loan, but we are seeing a growth in the market. We're seeing certain industries are, are growing more than others. You know, there are certain industries as, as, as what you're probably seeing even more than I'm seeing because you're looking at the general um, environment itself on, on, on a business scale is you're seeing all types of industry. You're seeing what is doing well and what is not doing well. But in general, we are seeing a growth in, in request. We're seeing a growth in, especially on, on the small business acquisition side, you know, where now you have people that have money on the sidelines. They've saved money for the last few years. You have people that are maybe being downsized in, in the situation that are happening. Um, and they're using this as an opportunity and they're downsizing to use their savings, to use their 
their IRA 401k and roll that over and maybe invest that in in a small business. So we hope that this will continue on because at the end of the day, the backbone of the economy is a small business. So it's very, very important that the SBA program is here in good times and bad times. I completely agree. I would say for what what we're seeing in the market is um, there's still a large number of buyers and qualified buyers. I think some of the less qualified buyers who are maybe just more curious than anything have dropped off a little bit, but I think we're getting um, we're getting more engagement than previously, um, especially if it's a good business that has a good, like you said, solid backbone and um, is doing very well in this economy. I mean, mostly the, I would say almost every industry we're looking at now is, is looking good. A lot of the accounting firms we're working with are telling us that their clients are all doing good. Um, I would say realtors are the one area we see and in, in title companies we see some challenges with. Um, but that's, um, you know, that's attached to the housing issue and there's just not enough inventory on the market to satisfy demand. So there's not enough inventory to satisfy the transactions. So hopefully development catches up and that problem solves itself. But like I'm saying, we're see we're seeing great activity in the market. We're seeing, um, great buyers. We're seeing good businesses. We're seeing solid cash flows. Um, you know, good, good financials year to date on most of the deals we're looking at. So I, I, you know, right now the, the temperature looks good for where I'm sitting. No, that sounds great. I mean, it's, it's, again, it's so important in what you're doing and what we're doing. I feel, you know, jointly to continue the growth of these businesses, Mm -hmm. to continue the operations of the businesses. The last thing we want to see in this situation when the economy has, has some tough times is a lot of businesses closing. That doesn't help anyone. That doesn't help the business owner. It doesn't help the employees of the business. It doesn't help the landlord of where that business is. And it doesn't help the customers because when you have less choices, your costs go up. So for, for us, I mean, I can say that just, just continuing to, to keep, keep steady in what we're doing, finding ways and finding flexible ways of making deals happen, you know, in these particular situations, um, you may need a bit more cash down to make that deal work. You know, you may need a larger note from the seller to make that deal work. But I believe what I'm seeing on the transactions on, on small business acquisitions is it seems more flexibility. I see more flexibility from all parties involved to, to keep that deal together and close that deal. No, I agreed. Do you have a favorite success story working with a client? Yeah. You know, I, I, I have uh, a client of mine who, 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 uh, was in the hospitality business for many, many years. Um, and, and eventually had the opportunity for him and his wife to, to own a daycare. And, um, it was it was a lifelong dream that that he had, and it it was a sizable transaction. But he had saved up, and you know he'd worked very very hard, and and he was the right profile. You know, understood managing, understood managing employees. His wife uh, was was in in a retail environment, and um, they eventually bought their first daycare, uh, and then eventually I helped them with a second daycare, and um, they basically have really changed their financial profile, their personal financial profile. They have, um, it's, they have a couple of kids in this whole 
process that have gone to college. Uh, you know, they have one child that is in med school and they have a, a, a younger child that is about to graduate and decided to actually graduate with a degree in, 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 in childcare education. And she wants to take over this family business. So again, you know, I love those stories because I can go back in the history of this and five, six years ago, this person had a full-time, you know, nine to five job. And here we are, you know, six, seven, eight years later, and this person has two highly profitable, you know, businesses that employ 20, 30 people in both these businesses and now is looking at the opportunity of not just expanding the business and doing their first ground up location, but also bringing their child into this business and, and it is their career for the future. So I love something that impacts generations to come. Yeah, we're now in the business of building legacies and maintaining those legacies. That's so true. It's, it's so rewarding. Well, is there anything else that we didn't cover you want to go over? Yeah, no, I would just say, uh, you know, from, from a standpoint of a buyer's profile, I just think it's very, very important for a buyer to be prepared. Um, buyer and seller, really. So a buyer to organize their documents, you know, a buyer to make sure that they have their financials put together, they're well, and they can articulate why they want to buy a business. Um, many times a person will look at a business and just say, hey, I see it and it's and it cash flows well and I can see what it makes and I want to buy the business. We want to see that 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 desire, that real strong reason as to why they want to buy that business. And for someone to be able to articulate that and, you know, a business plan, a few pages sort of explaining why they want to buy the business. Someone is organized with their financial documents, their tax returns, their personal financial statement, their resume. That's going to be important. And I, I do also feel that from a seller standpoint, that it's important that the seller realizes as early as possible that they want to want to sell a business and they start working with someone like you from a brokerage side to start organizing their thoughts and their financials and what they want to do well in advance of just waking up one day and saying, I want to sell my business. I mean, I'm sure you cringe those conversations of a person that calls you and says, hey, I think I can sell my business tomorrow for X amount. And you look at the financials and you don't know. So just preparation and organization from a buyer and a seller on what they want to do really helps, I think, the lending side as well as the brokerage side quite a bit. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Hedl, if someone wants to get in touch with you or get in touch with Bancor, how would they do so? Yeah, no. I, uh, so my my information is 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 out there on websites. My information is on LinkedIn. Again, Hedl Engineer, H-E-T-A-L, last name Engineer, E-N-G-I-N-E-E-R. Uh, my, um, my work email address is hengineer at thebankcorp.com. That's T-H-E-B-A-N-C-O-R-P.com or, you know, my cell phone is always available. It, 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 it we, can all, I was say, we can also link that in the, in the description if you like. So. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So so my my contact information, 407-758-3926. Um, always available. Always would like to help. Even if you're working with somebody else and you just feel like you, it, would, it would help to have some advice if that process is going right for you or not. At the end of the day, I, 
I'm always here to help, and I'd love to be able to see more people in small businesses themselves. Well, thank you so much. You've been a big help to to our firm. You know, I've very enjoyed working with you, and I'm glad I'm glad you had the opportunity to come today. You've made the time today, so thank you again for being on the podcast. Um, to our listeners, I want to thank you all for listening. Thank you for your questions and and for liking, subscribing, and until we see you on the next one. Thanks.